Okay, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us remotely as we continue to uh, come together and be unified through our distance and our commitment to keep that distance in order to keep all of us, particularly the most vulnerable among us, healthy. But it is great to see so many of you across uh, different venues to be able to study the Parsha together as we do every week. I know for me, in a week where we don't have this uh, class, the Parsha is entirely different for me. So I appreciate your being here and allowing me to prepare and to share some insights together with you. I want to thank our sponsors this morning, uh, David and Sharon Karpel, in memory of William Karpel, Zev Moshe Ben Shlomo Yaakov, Mildred Karpel, Malka Bas Mordechai, Meryl Karpel, Fredo Meryl Bas Pesach Halevi, and Kara Wald in commemoration of the Yurtzeit of her friend Miriam Bas Eliyahu Halevi. Also a uh, special thank you to uh, our dear friends Becky and Avi Katz, who sponsored this whole year Parsha series in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, David Ben Menachem Manish. Thank you so much for your, uh, for your generosity. Okay, we begin our Parsha, but not only our Parsha, but we're really beginning the third book of the Torah, Sefer Vayikra. And with it, what feels like an enormous transition from the sections that have been narrative and story, the book of Bereshus, which tells us about the founding and the birth, the development of the first family, to the book of Shmos, which tells us about the birth of a nation, of a people that go through the struggles, the adolescence of a people, uh, the rebelliousness of a young people, and emerge at the end of the book of Shmos as now a bona fide people operating in the desert, in the Midbar, with the Mishkan, and so on. And it brings us up to this third book, the book of Vayikra. And many of us hesitate, many of us, when we get to the book of Vayikra, we let out a sort of groan or a sigh. This is the book that's filled with esoteric teachings that are antiquated, unrelatable to us, and accessible to us. They reference the Kohanim and the sacrifices and the Karbanas and the Mishkan, and it seems so irrelevant to the time in which we are living. But as we try to do every year, and we'll try to do again beginning today, the book of Ayikra is filled with countless timeless messages for every single one of us. And we long for the day that these Karbanas will be returned, uh, and we will be able to once again, be in a Beis HaMikdash, offering them and tapping into their deeper meaning, enriching and elevating our lives. But until then, certainly the great symbolism of them carries us very, very far. So we begin with the opening words of the parish itself, which are unusual. We could spend five hours just literally on the opening Pasuk itself. I'm tempted to, but we won't. Vayikra Moshe Hashem Elav those who have the article Stone Chumash, we're on page 544. Vayikra El Moshe. It's an unusual thing. Normally the Torah formulates in first telling us who is calling whom. God is calling Moshe. God is speaking to one of his prophets. And yet here, in a very unusual departure, the Torah doesn't position it God is speaking to whom. First it tells us Vayikra. First we have generically somebody, a pronoun called out. And we have the subject. We have to whom comes before who is the one who's calling. Vayikra, someone called El Moshe, to Moshe. And only then is God's name mentioned after Moshe. God called him from the Oel Moed saying. What's going on here in this Pasuk, in this word Vayikra? The truth is the Aleph here we speak about every year. The Balaturim points out, as many others do, if you look in your Chumash, if we had the privilege, and we long to return soon, to have the privilege during Hagba to see the lifting of the Torah and the words within, you'd see that the Vayikra, the word Vayikra, is written with an Aleph Zira, a small Aleph. Why a small Aleph? The Balaturim tells us. Because Moshe Rabbeinu really wanted Hashem to print it, to publish the book and say Vayikar, like it does with Bilam. Really, God wanted it to appear as if this was happenstance, chance. Moshe was no big deal. Moshe was no one special. Uh, God happened upon him. God says, nice try, Moshe. I love the humility, but I want in perpetuity the world to know that you are the Av Hanavim. You are the most distinguished of all prophets of all time. So I won't print it without the Aleph, but I'll tell you what, Moshe. I'll make a compromise. We'll do a small Aleph, an Aleph Zeira Vayikra. The small Aleph. To which, of course, everyone asks on the Balaturim that the word Vayikra appeared much earlier with Moshe several times. For the Sneh, when God first recruits Moshe to be the leader of the Jewish people, it says he called him the word Vayikra. Why isn't the Aleph there small? At Har Sinai, it says God called him with Vayikra. Why isn't the Aleph small there? Why is it only here now, at the beginning of this fourth book of Vayikra, why is it only now here in the context 
of karbanos of sacrifices, does the Aleph appear small? Are we told of this negotiation and the compromise that's reached between Hashem and Moshe? And many explain that the notion of the small Aleph, the Aleph Zeira, is entirely consistent with what the theme of Vayikra is all about. Vayikra is about karbanos, it's about sacrifices. The willingness to bring sacrifices, the willingness to be of service, comes from a sense of humility within us. A person who's arrogant and thinks they're all that, a person who thinks they're arrived, a person who feels entitled and special, is such a person who will not be of service to others, is a person who will not be willing to sacrifice or compromise for or towards a relationship with others. The prerequisite to ability to connect in this way is a willing is a sense of humility, is being humble. And that's why specifically here, it's a tradition which is brought back already down by the Rishonim, that goes back a long time, that we begin to teach children with the book of Vayikra, which is not really our custom in our time. You can imagine a lot of children would rebel. The book of Vayikra is not exactly the most scintillating. It's not exactly the most, uh, the most gripping. And so we don't generally today. But back even in recent times and still many Chadarim today, they begin teaching Chumash or Parsha to children with the book of Vayikra, hinted to with the Aleph Zira, the small Aleph is an allusion to small children. Why? I think the answer is very simple. Because we need to understand in life, whether it's relationships with parents, with the spouse, with friends, and ultimately a relationship with our Creator, they are predicated on our willingness to make sacrifices. If we're sitting back waiting with a sense of entitlement that everyone has to serve us, meet our needs, make us happy, we're not going to have meaningful relationships. We're going to see the kind of statistics we see today about how many marriages fail. But if we go in with a willingness to be most nefesh, to make sacrifices, to give, if we understand that the prerequisite to healthy relationships is the ability, the capacity, the willingness to give and to sacrifice. And the same is true within Judaism, within Yahadus. It's true as we sing, it's geschmack to be a Yid. It's geschmack. We love Shabbos. We love Yantif. Even in a year like this, we love Pesach. We love everything about being a Jew. It's geschmack to be a Yid. But you know what? At the same time, it remains challenging to be a Yid. Right now, it's very difficult. How are you going to make Pesach? How will you afford the matzah and the wine? How will we get it done? That's the Aleph Zeira. The small Aleph communicates to children and communicates to the children in us. The immature voice in us that says, I want everything to be easy. I want it all to be convenient and comfortable. I want it all to be pleasant. No. Vayikra, with a small Aleph, we have to be humble and we have to be willing to do the avoda, to make sacrifices. We have to be willing to compromise, we have to be willing to give. But let's look at Rashi together. If you have a chumash, and I hope you do. It says Rashi, l'chol dibros, l'chol amiros, l'chol When it comes to all the other cases, vaydaber, God speaks, or amira, first preceded by kriya, calling. Why? Because this language of Vayikra, the language of Hashem calling, is Lashon Chiba. It is a language of affection. It's a language of love. Lashon Bo. This is the language that angels communicate to one another. Vayikra, they call out. As we're familiar from our Kedusha, Vikara, to call to one another. When it comes to Bilam, it uses the word Vayikar, chance, happenstance, randomness. That's a lashon of Tumah, the attitude, the mentality, the voice in us that says there is no meaning and purpose and order in the universe. Everything is the result of chance and randomness. That voice, that attitude, that influence brings impurity. Arai, it's just happenstance, it's just chance. We dismiss that. We overcome that influence. It's an influence of Amalek, of Lashon Mikra, of Keri. But rather, we see Vayikra. We see the notion of Hashem calling us all around. Vayikra Moshe. Rashi continues, He was calling out. But you know, only Moshe had his antenna extended. Moshe is the one who heard. What are these hafsakos that Rashi is talking about? If you look inside a Chumash, the art scroll maintains it and preserves it. If you look inside a Sefer Torah, you'll find what are called stumos and psuchos. You'll find there's a break in the text. Sometimes there's a break, a white space in the text, and the text continues on the same line. And sometimes there's a break in the text, and the text doesn't continue until the next line. What is the difference, psuchos and and stumos. So Chazal tell us that these breaks represent and reflect Moshe Rabbeinu stopping to be able to contemplate, to think, to absorb what Hashem had just told him, what Hashem had just told him. So 
Um, one might think, says Rashi, that this Lashon of Kriya, that Hashem called Moshe even before the breaks, no, that it wasn't before the breaks themselves. If Moshe Rabbeinu needed that white space, if Moshe Rabbeinu needed what we call margin in order to sit and think and absorb and contemplate, then all the more, says Rashi, do we. Revolba expands upon this, the great Mashbiach Revolba, and he says, especially true in our time, and that's one of the lessons of this uh, challenging crisis in which we find ourselves, which also is presenting simultaneously this opportunity. You see, we imbibe, we absorb so much information, terabytes of information in record speeds. We have at our fingertips technology that enables us to Google and search and access endless information. There is noise constantly being broadcast in our ears and to our eyes and filling up the space in our head. But you know what? We need psuchos and stumos, says Revolba. If Moshe Rabbeinu, who had the greatest teacher of all time, the Almighty himself, if Moshe Rabbeinu, who was receiving the message directly from the messenger, he needed the space that HaKadosh Baruch Hu provided it. And Moshe said, that's incredible. I need to think about that. Give me a moment to absorb that, to reflect on it, to be mindful of it then all the more so we need to build margin into our lives. That's the white space of the Torah. We weren't just given a Torah that was filled with ink, and the Torah specifically does not fill from one margin to the other. If you speak to a publisher, they'll tell you, you know, it would be much more economical, it would be much more efficient to print books where the ink goes from the edge of the page to the other edge of the page and the top all the way to the bottom, and you cut out any spacing between the lines, books could be much shorter and therefore would cost much less to publish. They'd still charge the same price to buy. Why don't they do that? Because they understand that the ratio of white space to ink, of white to black, is critical on the page so that your mind has the ability to absorb and to think and to shut down the break between what you're reading. Says Rashi, the same is true for us. Sometimes we need to shut down, disconnect, think, we need to provide the psuchos and stumos. Why? Lehis bonein ben parsha la parsha. We have parshios of our lives. There are conversations and there are interactions. There are events and there are moments and there are experiences. And we need lehis bonein ben parsha la parsha. Sometimes between those conversations, between those moments, between those experiences, we need to disconnect, stop reading, create some margin, create some space in our lives in order to be able to think in order to be able to breathe, in order to be able to observe, absorb, in order to be able to be transformed. Says Revolba, if it was true for Moshe with the Torah, Moshe, the Av Hanavim, all the more so it's true for us, what a critical lesson. And therefore, as much as for many who have children in our home, they're being schooled right now on technology. For many working at home, we're reliant on technology. For many trying to stay sane at home, we are relying on technology. And the technology provides a beautiful ability. Right now, it's giving us this ability to be together, learning Torah, to enrich ourselves. But it also clogs the brain and the mind. And sometimes we have to remember, like Moshe, to create psuchos and stumos, to disconnect. Go for a walk, sit on a couch and close your eyes. Spend a few moments in mindful meditation. Disconnect to be able to absorb and therefore permanently connect to that which we are, to that which we are learning. I want to share with you a beautiful insight on these opening words of Vayikra el Moshe. And the distinction between the word Vayikra and Dibor and uh, and uh, as, as Rashi alludes to the different types of speaking, Amira, Dibor, and Kriya. And I want to draw your attention to a comment of the Chalban. The Chalban was Rav Chaim Kohn. He passed away this year. Chalban was a fascinating uh, personality. He was steeped. He was a great Talmud Chacham in Nigla and Nister, in both the hidden and the revealed Torah. But he himself was hidden. Chalban is a milkman. He was clean-shaven and wore blue shirts and a cap, and he went to work every day in the milk factory, and he was a simple milkman until it was discovered just what a genius he was and just how, uh, and just how um, well-versed he was, both in the revealed and the hidden Torah. And at that point, they published his Sfarim, of which there are many. So this is a Sefer Tal Lechayim, and here he says the following, I'm sorry you don't have the text in front of you, but uh, allow me to share it in his words because I think they're very poignant. You know that the opening word of a Sefer tells us, 
It tells us the theme, the essence, what the Sefer is really all about. So in these opening words and this opening sentence, which really only represent a fraction of our parsha, let alone the Sefer, it's worth our spending so much time because this opening sentence and this opening word, Vayikra, captures the essence of everything the book is about. And so we'll try with the help of God to understand. With the word Vayikra and the small alf. By the way, Chaban is very verbose. Everything he says are essays that are pages and pages and pages. They're worth reading. It's precious. Every, every word. Obviously, we don't have time to study it all, but I want to just give you some of the flavor of what he shares. Reish is called, first of all, We have to begin to see the beginning of the book. So, how does the book begin? Vayikra and Moshe, Hashem calls Moshe, it doesn't say Hashem, it just says, Vayikra, and Moshe is called, and God speaks to him the Yomo, and he tells him, Adam ki yakriv mikem, when a person sacrifices mikem from themselves. Kan We see here the awakening, we see here the arousal, we see here what it means to welcome somebody towards the conversation with Hashem. Adam ki yakriv mikem, Am Yisrael tzameh l'Hashem Yisbarach, we're thirsty for Hashem, we who are confined to our home, we who are trying to understand and interpret current events, we who are trying to be able to withstand and weather this crisis. Tzamei l'Hashem Yisparach, we're thirsty for Hashem's love and His support to feel His presence, to make sense of it all. We want to be close to Him. We want to attach ourselves to Him with all of our strength. Korban shel We want to bring a korban. At the root of that word korban is karov. The goal. See, many people think, I remember a few years ago, somebody who feels enlightened wrote a whole article about why he thinks that, that sacrifices, he prays that they will not be restored because they are archaic and cruel to animals and the like. It's entirely against our Mesorah. It's against everything we believe. We believe the opposite. Sacrifices are not barbaric. They're not archaic. They don't tap into the worst of humanity. The spirituality and the symbolism of the sacrifice is the highest. We take the animal representing the animal in us and we sacrifice it to state that we're going to suppress the animal in us and express our godliness, the best of us, the best version of ourselves. Rav Hirsch writes every aspect of the sacrifices. We don't have time now, but a flower sacrifice and the burning of the fats and the sprinkling of the blood and each element of the sacrifices is symbolic of another element of our lives. The statement we're making to God, the statement we're making to ourselves that we're going to submit and we're going to suppress and we're going to sacrifice the animal in us so that what's left is the godly disciplined soul that's reaching for something higher that is the best version of ourself. The root of the word korban is karov. We want to draw close to God. And the best way to draw close to God is to be like God. God doesn't have an animal instinct, an animal impulse. God doesn't give in to a temptation. God is the ultimate of dignity and discipline. And when we sacrifice the animal in us and we emulate him, when we are the godly best version of ourselves, is the way we draw closest to him. So the korbanas represent that, that yearning, that desire, that burning longing. Leos karov, korban karov. Kana Torah pasachas is kol nyanis karva shalano. So listen to what the Chalban writes. Vinei parsha zu matzchilim bekriya shakadosh baruchu koler Moshe vayikra. Our parsha begins with God calling Moshe. Hakriy bakashas is karvos. What is kriya? Here he says the fundamental difference between kriya and dibur. Kriya is the calling. Hakriya bakashas is karvos. Kishe adam kore lemishu who mevakesh menu lavoi love. When you call your child, your spouse, a friend from the other room, when you call out to them, even the language, the vernacular, the way we describe it as calling out to somebody, what does it mean? What does it sound like? I'm calling out. I want to be close. Could you come draw near to me? This represents God's calling Moshe, saying, I want to be close to you. Draw close to me. Please come here. Please draw near. Please come. Vayedaber means speaking. It refers to the act of speaking. Vayomer is the content of what is being spoken. Vayikra means the bond, the connection, the desire to be together. That's Vayikra. So, 
Vayedaber is the act of speaking. So a speech pathologist could talk about Vayedaber. What does it mean? The, the voice box and the tongue and the larynx and how the act of speaking. And Vayomer is what's being spoken. But Vayikra is the calling. Come, draw close. I want to be connected. That's what Rashi means, says the Chaban. The Vayikra is a language of Chiba, of affection, of love. It is love. Vayikra is come, come. I want to be close. I want to feel close. So Nimsa Shekvarlaf Ne Bakashas Karvashalam is Haramuz of Mila Adam Kiyakrav Mikem, Kvarmizgal Bakashas is Karvas. Before we reciprocate, before we offer the sacrifice, before we offer Mikem from ourselves, which we'll talk more about in a moment, before we reciprocate, Hakadish Baruchu puts out the call. Kadish Baruchu says, Vayikra, you can hear him calling. He wants us to be close to him. This is a Kadosh Baruch Hu's Kriya, but Umka Kriya Pnimis. There is a deep inner calling. This calling of God reflects his boundless love, his friendship, his connection to Knesset Yisrael, to each and every one of our Neshamas in particular. The voice of Hashem is knocking on our door. Tells us, Shlomo HaMelech says, the voice of Hashem is knocking. My dear friends, in every one of our lives, Hashem is calling out to us, Vayikra. It's not just a Vayidaber. He speaks to us through his Shulchan Aruch and the Halacha and the Torah. Davening is our speaking to God. Learning Torah is God speaking to us. That's the Vayidaber. And you know, the Vayomer, the Vayomer is the content of the message. It's what he's telling us. But the Vayikra, the Vayikra are the things that are going on in our lives, the things that are happening for good and for bad that make sense and that we're still trying to understand. The Vayikra is Hashem calling out to us when we extend our, atten- our antenna, the kol dodido fake, when we answer the door from his knock, he is there trying to grow close to us. And the Chaban points us to a comment of the Alter Rebbe in Likutei Torah, who is the one who describes this notion this is how you enter the Omoid. The way to get into the house of Hashem, the way to access Him, the way to feel intimately in His presence, a rendezvous with Him is Vayikra, to hear His call. You see, if, if your antenna is not extended, any young person listening right now has no idea what an antenna is, but there used to be on the car, you know, the antenna would go up at the fancy cars. The antenna would go up when you turn the radio on and off when you turn the radio, it would come down. If you wanted to get reception on your TV, you had to hold the antenna in just the right place. There used to be an antenna. Today, your phone has an antenna, but you don't see it. You don't even know about it. So young people have no clue what I'm talking about, the antenna needing to be extended. But the Alter Rebbe says that the prerequisite to entering an intimate rendezvous with Hashem, to be in the same space as God, to feel His presence, to be uplifted and transformed and changed by simply being with Him, to have a confidence and a knowledge that He's intimately involved in our lives, the prerequisite to that is to hear His call. If you're just going through motions, if you're simply performing mitzvot through rote, if you're simply discharging obligations with a check mark, but there's no actual warmth, there's no passion, there's no romance, there's no relationship, you're not listening to God talking to you each and every day through the miracles He's doing every day, then you're not really involved in a relationship. There's no sense of a vayikra. It's not genuine. It's not real. I wish I had the rest of the day to learn with you the many, many pages of this piece, but I wanted to share with you to give you a flavor of what this book is all about, says the Chaban. It's this sense of a, of a vayikra. It's extending our antenna, looking and listening and hearing the message of Hashem talking to us all around. I've shared many times in many contexts that my family started a practice because I had learned with one of my daughters this past summer a letter of Rav Moshe, Rav Yaakov, who said that if you want to draw close to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, start a daily journal of Hashkacha Pratis. The little things in your life where you see Hashem, the things that didn't need to work out but have worked out, the seeming coincidences really are by design. So we started a family WhatsApp group called Hashkacha Pratis, my nuclear family, me, my wife, and my children. And I encourage our children, we try every day, every few days, someone leaves a voice note or writes out something that happened in their life, which was Hashkacha Pratis. It's unbelievable. To hear the call of the Vayikra. What is Hashkacha Pratis if not hearing the call of Vayikra? Go through life and live it in high definition, not in black and white. Go through life and look for the hand of Hashem. Extend that antenna so you hear Him. I want to share with you an insight from Rav Druk, Rav Yisrael Meir Druk. 
is a Rosh Hashiva today, a great Talmachacham in Eretz Yisrael. His father was uh, also a great Rav in Yerushalayim, the Drash Mordechai. And Rav Yisrael Meir Druk has a set, set on Chumash called Eish Tamid. And in here he writes the following. Uh, as I said, I pointed out before, Vayikra El Moshe. First we have to whom the speech is directed, even before who the speaker is. First it's Vayikra El Moshe, before it's Vayidaber Hashem a love. Why? It's a very peculiar language. It should have said, God called Moshe, and he said, The first thing you do is, you identify who the speaker is. Then you can identify the subject, who the listener is. It doesn't make sense to refer to the listener before you've even identified who the speaker is. Listen to what Rav Druk says. The answer is, because when HaKadosh Baruch Hu calls out to us, it's not always so revealed or so clear who the speaker is. If you want to see it as chance or randomness or coincidence, if you want to see it as the act of, of other human beings, you can mistakenly confuse it, and you can mistakenly misidentify it. Moshe Rabbeinu Hayamuchan Lekach, you see, it doesn't say who the speaker is before the listener, because it's telling us that Moshe positioned himself to be a listener, always listening for the word of Hashem, and then when Hashem saw that Moshe understood it was him speaking, now he was prepared to speak. We shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that it's random coincidences, it's a string of events, it's other people. But we have to extend that antenna. We have to live our lives with that sense of Vayikra, looking for and listening to that call. Keeping a journal of the Hashgacha Pratis, of the many ways in which Hashem speaks to us in our lives, in a daily and on a regular basis. And here too, again, Rav Druk expands other examples of this. That's what happened in the snare. Moshe, everyone else walked by. Moshe Rabbeinu heard the call. Why? God spoke louder when Moshe walked by than when others walked by? No, Moshe's antenna was extended. Is our antenna extended? Do we see and identify and express our gratitude for the Vayikra, for that intimate connection? Not only the Vayidaber and the Vayomer, but the Vayikra. I think that this is something that we need to continue to educate, particularly to the young people in our lives, but educate ourselves too. That the core of a meaningful, vibrant, active, passionate, romantic Judaism and relationship with Hashem is not only to focus on the Vayidaber and the Vayomer, not only on the how much did you learn and did you learn and how much did you open the Sefer and did you complete the learning, and not only the content, did you observe and do you understand, did you memorize and do you know, both of which are very, very important, but also that sense of Vayikra, that Hashem is talking to us. When we learn Torah, He's talking to us. When we live life, He's talking to us. When we experience the things in our life, Hashem is talking to us as well. Now there's an amazing medrash here. There's an amazing medrash on this Pasuk of Vayikra, in these opening words. And the medrash tells us the following. The medrash says, Vayikra Hashem, Vayikra Moshe, Vayidaber Hashem, Listen to the words of the Medrash. Mikan Amru Bodas It's an incredible Medrash. It's a very perplexing Medrash. The Medrash says, We see from here that any Talmud Chacham, any righteous scholar, She'ein Bodas, who lacks Das, we have to define momentarily, and we've spoken about this before, but I want to share with you two new definitions today. What is this Das? A Talmud Chacham, a scholar, a righteous person, but who lacks Das, it doesn't just say, you know, they really need to work on themselves, improve themselves, learn more, grow more. It says, a Tamachacham who has no das, a putrid corpse, a nevela, a rotting corpse is better than them. How do you know this? We learn it from Moshe. Listen to this. Moshe, the Avanavim. Moshe was incredibly brilliant. Moshe is the highest level of prophecy. Moshe is credited with taking the Jewish people out of Egypt. And through Moshe, countless miracles occurred. And yet, Allah Maram, he went on top of the mountain to receive the Torah. And he built the Mishkan. And yet, Lo Niknas Moshe didn't walk into the Oamawid. He didn't enter the Mishkan until he was first called. He didn't go in without permission. 
So you see that a Tamachacham who has no Das is, is worse than a putrid rotting corpse. From where? From the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu had the Das to know don't enter until you're invited in. What in the world is going on here? So the simple understanding of it is that Moshe is a role model. What's he a role model of? We know that Derech Eretz Kadma the Torah. You can be a great scholar and a great Tamachacham, but if you have no Derech Eretz, if you enter places before you're invited in, if you breach confidentiality, if you don't knock before you enter, if you share what you shouldn't be sharing with others, if you breach Derech Eretz, then what's the value of your Torah? Derech Eretz is Kadma the Torah. And here, according to this first understanding, we're going to share four. In the first understanding, Das can be defined or interpreted as Derech Eretz. Basic common courtesy, good manners, etiquette, decency. Knock before you enter. Wait to be invited in before you come. Moshe did, and a Talmud Chacham who doesn't, Nevela Tova Heimenu. The problem with that is, why, why is a Nevela Tova Heimenu? True, Derech Eretz is Kadmala Torah. And by the way, where do we learn that from? Because Derech Eretz preceded the Torah by 26 generations, the Medrash tells us. Adam was commanded in Derech Eretz long before we got the Torah. Kodesh Baruch Hu had expectations of how we treat one another and how we behave and the manners that we exhibit long before he gave us the Torah. So mastering Derech Eretz really is a prelude to the Torah itself. But I want to share with you a second definition, maybe a deeper meaning to the use, the Medrash's use of the word Das instead of Derech Eretz. And maybe what it means is the following. You can have an intellectual knowledge. You can have information that sits in your brain. It's cognitive, a processing knowledge. But one needs that information to filter down. You see, the three types of knowledge, the three terms that we use, the origin of the Lubavitcher movement, the Alter Rebbe um, put together, Chochma, Bina, and Das. We hadn't say for Shmos, Betzalel. Betzalel was endowed with Chochma, Bina, and Das, which is why he is the architect of the Mishkan. Chochma is information. It's knowledge of an area or a discipline. Bina is the capacity, Lahavin, Bain this and bain that, to analyze and to dig deeper within the information. Das is different than Chachma or Bina. Chachma is the information you could memorize it. Bina is lahavdil bain this or this. Why do we say havdala in atachonein? Because havdala, the ability to be chonein das, is lahavin bain this or bain that. So Chachma is information, and Bina is the capacity to analyze the information, to process it. What is Das? Das is when we take the information from the abstract and we show we have the capacity to analyze it and now we know how to execute it. We can absorb information in a way that transforms us, that impacts us, that changes us, that we live with it. And maybe that's what Moshe Rabbeinu, that's what the Medrash is telling us. That Moshe's Derech was not simply an exercise in etiquette. It is the result of a sense of Das. Chachma is to know what to do. And Bina is to know why to do it. And Da'as is to be committed to do it. So a Tamil Chacham She'ein Bo Da'as, a great Tamil Chacham who's brilliant, who's a genius, who has a photographic memory, a Tamil Chacham with a credible capacity for recall, who could tell you everything in the world, but doesn't know how to execute it in their lives. Nevela Tova Hemenu. They're worse than a putrid, rotting corpse because the purpose of all that information, the purpose of all that Torah is to transform us, is to execute on us, is for us to bring it out into the world. We live in the information age and the information age is a wonderful time to live, but it can't just stay information. It has to be processed and brought down to a place of, to a place of reality. That's explanation number two. Number three, Revolba says, Da'as, Revolba writes in his commentary on Parsha, that Da'as is Kavana. It's the capacity for mindfulness. It's the capacity to be present. Das in davening is kavana, to concentrate. A Talmud Chacham who has no das, a Talmud Chacham who's aloof and distracted, a Talmud Chacham who can't be mindful and present, a Talmud Chacham who's always elsewhere, nevela tova heimenu. So to have das, says Revolba, is the capacity for kavana. It's the capacity for mindfulness. In davening it reflects itself as kavana. It's the capacity for dibur with das, in conversation and communication with the people around us, particularly the people that we love, the ability not to be distracted, not to be looking all over, not to be fragmented, but to be mindful, to be present. Think about the expression, says Revolba, that we use. 
A person who lives in the moment, a person who's present in every activity they're doing, is living with a sense of Yishuv Das. Yishuv Das is a calmness and a serenity and a confidence and the capacity to be engaged fully in whatever it is that one is doing. So definition, definition number three of Das, what does it mean? Kol she'in bo das. You could be a Tamachacham, you could have all this information and knowledge, but if you don't have peace of mind, you don't have serenity, you don't have mindfulness to be fully engaged and present in the conversations, in the davening, in what you're doing, Nevela tova heimenu. Definition number three, number four rather, comes from Rav Druk, right? We had the first one is Derech and the second one is Chachma Bina and Das, and the third one is Das is Kavana, and the fourth one is back to Rav Druk. So Rav Druk says the following. What does it mean, Das? He quotes the whole Medrash, and he too wonders why this peculiar phrasing. Moreover, why are we saying it specifically in the context of a Tamil Chacham? It should say Kol Adam, Kol Ish Sheim Das, every person who doesn't, however we define Das, have Das. Why specifically a Tam Chacham? So therefore he says the following. And why Taka didn't Moshe go in until he was called? Didn't he know the whole essence of building the Mishkan was to have access to Hashem, was to give a sense of Shechina, Shachain, to make God our neighbor, to draw him down, Dira Batachtonim. So why didn't Moshe go in? That was the Tachlis, that was the purpose, that was the goal of why building this Mishkan. So why didn't he just go in? Here he distinguishes between Moshe and Bilaam. With Moshe, first we have Kriya, God calls him, and then God speaks to him. With um, Bilaam, God uh, speaks to him. And he says, why? The reason God calls you is so that you can prepare for what's going to be spoken to you so that you can free your mind, so that you can carve space, so that you can calm your nerves, so that you can be present in where you're at. So when you have Kriya before Dibur, it is the preparation phase. Ein Kedusha Bali Hachana, there is no holiness without preparation. There is no, only the one who is, works to be able to prepare for Shabbos will be able to eat on Shabbos. Only the one who, who's Toreach for, for Shabbos has what to eat on Shabbos. So therefore, says Rav Druk, you know what it means? Uh, a Tamar Chacham, who doesn't work to have the peace of mind, who doesn't prepare for those holy moments, who tries to just engage them on the fly as random and chance and happenstance, like Bilam, such a Tamar Chacham, Nevela Tova Heimenu. It means that Malaso shall tamachacham sheina ose upol aderach hamikra vahamizdamein ela mechen atzma b'chomasa tov lekabel hashefa haruchni sheba mimenu v'zenilman mimoshe rabenu shehinti likrias Hashem. True, Moshe could have just entered the Mishkan. That was the tachlis of the building of the Mishkan. He could have just walked in. He understood that's why it's there, and yet he paused. He paused for a moment to get ready. He paused for a moment to prepare because he understood that if you want to be fully engaged and fully transformed by the holy moments of our lives, you can't rush into them. When we will be able to please God soon, return to shul, and we'll be back on a schedule that we need to come on time. If you don't come a few minutes early and frame your mind and clear your mind and create the margin we spoke about, then you won't fully be able to have that experience. It's said about Rav Shlomo Zaman Arbach, that when he would climb the steps to his home in Shari Chesed, before he'd walk in, he would first, you know, clean off and straighten out and, and make sure that he looked well. Why? Because he said he was going in to see his wife. You know, those moments, the precious moments, even the places that we should feel the most relaxed or casual, but if they are the holiest moments and opportunities of our lives, then there is no Kedusha without Hachana. So the Kriya before the Dibur, God called to Moshe and he stood outside. He waited to be called in. Why? Because a Talmud Chacham understands that if you want to engage, you want to encounter, you want to experience holiness, you need to prepare. You need to be ready. You need to clear that space and that margin. You need that mindset. There are many who've given the advice, and, and I try to incorporate it myself. When we say that Amida, when you take those three steps forward for that Shemona Esrei, to take a deep breath, 
I personally have a mental image of taking my hands and clearing out all the space, my whole head, which is filled with all the things I have to do and people I have to get back to, all the narishkeit, all the sounds and sights, and the head, our head, which is, which is filled with all the things that are competing for space there. You need to have a mental image of clearing it out, of carving that direct line, that space, the kriya before the dibur, of getting ready before we enter, of taking that deep breath, of taking that deep breath and being ready to be able to be transformed. I want to give you the fifth and final explanation, and then we're ready to start the Parsha class beyond the first Pasuk. I want to give you the fifth and final explanation, and it's based on an insight of Rav Lichtenstein's Zatzal. Rav Lichtenstein has an article whose title is, If There Is No Das, How Can We Have Leadership? And the context of Rav Lichtenstein's article is the notion of Das Torah. And this too, I think, is very timely for our time, in which we've seen different forms of leadership and different uh, degrees of leadership to respond to what's happening around us and how that leadership is informed and how that leadership is out front and how that leadership is, is protecting. So it's a long essay, which I won't be able to. You could find it if you Google online. If there is no Da'at, how can we have leadership? Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, translated by Joseph Faith. And it's well worth reading the entire essay. But the essay is the discussion on the concept of Das Torah. Do we believe in Das Torah? Do we have categories of religious leaders in Judaism? Do we have Tamidei Chachamim who are endowed with some sort of divine inspiration so that they are infallible in their message, in their leadership, in their guidance, in what they tell us? Do we turn to them for Das Torah? Tell me, should I buy this house? Should I take this job? Should I send my child to the school? Should I marry this woman? Tell me, should I shut down my shul? How should I react and behave to the challenge of our time? Do we believe in Das Torah? That is the topic or theme of this essay. But in this essay, he says the following. He says, one of the most difficult questions in this field relates to and encompasses the topic of our discussion. If there is no Das, how can we have Das Torah? And he says, to illustrate this, I'll relate a story. Many years ago, I traveled to Bnei Brak to console my Rebbe and teacher of Yitzchak Kutner Zatzal in his mourning when his wife passed away. When I went to see him, says Ravaron, I found him sitting alone. We had a private conversation, and this was conducted in a very open and honest fashion, from one heart to another. Rav Hutner told me that one of the Tamidei Chachamim who came to console him tried to convince him to explain how his wife's passing was positive, inasmuch as she was now in the world of truth, a world which is entirely positive and other such nonsense. And indeed, it's not uncommon to hear such things when one goes to console a mourner, especially when the deceased passed away while being involved in a mitzvah or has fallen in battle in Kiddush Hashem. It is superfluous to state that saying such things is totally unsuitable. I remember that when Rav Hutner told me this, writes Rav Lichtenstein, he raised his voice and he applied the following severe words of the Medrash in Vayikarabah, any Tamil Chacham who lags Das is worse than a putrid carcass. Rafutner added in his thunderous voice, Did you hear this? Any Tamil Chacham who lags Das. Consider this. We're not discussing an ignoramus who lags Das, but rather a Tamil Chacham. A Tamil Chacham who's filled his belly with Talmud in the response to literature, who's an expert in the Ketsos and the Nesivos. But if he lacks Das, which can direct and guide him so that he'll act with understanding towards others and interact with them in a civil fashion, he's worse than a putrid animal carcass. Had I not heard these incisive comments with my own ears from my Rebbe and teacher, I would be fearful of voicing such sentiments of my own accord, said Rolichnestein. So without getting too involved in the question of the correct balance between das, wisdom, and understanding, in this context it will suffice for us to note that one can certainly conclude from this Midrashic teaching that Das is not bestowed from on high as a free gift which is passed automatically into man's hands, even if he is supreme Tamachacham. Das does not necessarily accompany knowledge and analytical skill and is not necessarily bound up with them like fire is with hemp fibers. We've learned from Rav Hutner's comments that there's a certain level of Das that is vital for a Tamachacham to possess and without which his wisdom is severely impaired. And so even if we adopt the approach which requires obeying Gedolim, it'd be logical to assume that this obligation applies only to a Tamachacham who has Das and not a Talmud Chacham who is full of knowledge like a pomegranate, but lacks Das. A Talmud Chacham, according to the Medrash, is worse than a putrid animal carcass. Would we approach this carcass, who according to our sages is better than a Talmud Chacham, to ask for advice on medical matters? Can a Talmud Chacham who lacks Das be relied upon? Can we accept the words of a Torah genius lacking human and emotional sensitivity, who possesses no psychological insight? And I encourage you to read the rest of his essay. I think also, as I said, very timely. It means kol Talmud Chacham She'in Bodas. The fifth and final definition we'll offer this morning of what Das means is Das is common sense. Das is common sense. 
You could know Kolatora Kula Bape. But if you don't listen to medical advice of experts, if you don't listen to socio-political experts, if you're not listening to the guidance, if you lack common sense about how to respond and guide people, then you're a Tamachacham She'en Bodas. It doesn't say anyone who doesn't have Das. It specifically says Tamachacham She'en Bodas, which Rav Huttner understood to mean you can be a Tamachacham and lack Das. So if you lack Das, you have no Das Torah. Now there are many Tamidei Chachamim who are both a Tamar Chacham and have extraordinary amounts of Das. And perhaps they are a source of Das Torah for us. But before someone turns or listens to the guidance of a Tamar Chacham, they have to ask, do they just know a lot? Or do they also have the foundation of common sense of Das? Because if not, Nevela Tova Heimenu. Pasuk Beis, moving right along in Parshas Vayikra and Sefer Vayikra. Pasuk Beis. Speak to the Jewish people and what is the message now? The Amira, what is the content you're supposed to tell them? Adam, When a person is offering a sacrifice to God, they offer it from their cattle, from their flock, they offer this sacrifice. Which word is entirely superfluous in this Pasuk? It could have read, Adam Kiyakriv, Karban Lashem, when a person offers a sacrifice. Why does it say Adam Kiyakriv Mikem Karban, when you offer from yourself a sacrifice? So here I share with you the insight of the Ashech. The Ashech HaKadosh of Moshe Ashech says the word Mikem teaches us something critically important. Kasher Adam Makriv Karban Lashem Tzarchu Lizkor, Kiroi Hayla Atzma Shiasubo Kausu Behema Mukurevis Atalfne Hashem. When you bring the carbon, it's not some external, superficial gesture. We don't just write the check to God. Here's the carbon. Here's the davening I mumbled. Here's the obligation I'm discharging. It's not superficial. It's not external. We're not simply trying to unload it. It's got to be mikem. Mikem means it's us. It's from within us. It's genuine and it's real and it comes from inside us. Mikem, it's authentic. It is us says the Ashach, a person should realize that the truth is we belong on that altar. We belong being sacrificed and slaughtered. We are unworthy. We have violated Hashem's will. Adam Kiyakrev Mikem. It has to come from inside us. It has to be genuine and real. It has to be animated, inspired. It has to be passionate and filled with romance as we've been trying to communicate what Vayikra is really all about. To hear Hashem's voice and that call. We don't live a life that is simply on the surface or superficial. It has to be something which is much deeper. And this is reflected in the Pasuk. Says the Oiv Yisrael, the Abderav, Rav Avram Yoshua Heschel of Apt. He says the following, the Oiv Yisrael, incredible Sefer, where he connects every Parsha to the mitzvah of Avas Yisrael, of loving our fellow Jew. So here he says the following, a person can fulfill and offer sacrifices in one of two ways. Just like you can daven or do mitzvahs in one of two ways, just like you could relate to your spouse or your friends or your neighbors or coworkers or children in one of two ways. It could be real and genuine, it could come from the depths of your being, or it can be external and superficial, you could just be mailing it in. So when it's Adam Ki Adam Kiyakrav Mikem, when the person is offering really themselves, I'm here. You know, sometimes somebody's having a conversation with their spouse and they say, I, I, I know that you could repeat the words I just said, but I don't feel you're really here. You're not giving me yourself. You're not giving me your full attention. You're not confiding in me. You're not revealing yourself or giving me access to who you are. I don't feel that you're giving me the whole or the real you. So Adam Kiyakrev Mikem, when a person gives the real them to Hashem, then Korban Lashem. Then it's a real Korban, it's genuine to God. But if it's only Min HaBehema, Min HaBakar, Min HaTzon, if all they're doing are the motions on the surface, if it's an external act of bringing from the animal, then Takrivu Es Korban Chem, it's just making you feel better. Then it's just a gesture on the outside to make you feel like you've discharged the obligation. So says the Oiv Yisrael, the Abderav, Rav Avim Yeshua Heshel, that in the Pasuk itself is this mission and mandate and the description of the result. When it's Adam Kiyakrav Mikem, when it really comes from us, when it's genuine and real, Karban Lashem. Then it's for God. Then we're connected. It results in Karov and feeling close to Him. If it's Min Abakar, Min Abahema, Min Atzon, if it's only on the surface, if it's an external act of the animal, then Takribah's Karban Chem is just for you. It makes you feel better about yourself. It just makes you feel a certain way.
the uh, Maggid of Mezrich has another pshat. I'm sorry, on the next pasuk, before we get to the Ksav Sofer. The Ksav Sofer says this, of Shmuel ben Yaman Sofer. Ksav Sofer writes about another anomaly in the pasuk. The pasuk says, Adam kiyakrev mikem korban. Why doesn't it say ish? Isab medrash tanchum, alama nemar adam kiyakrev. Alam is ish. Lomar miyakta adam, kadam arishan shizchalachto, yakrev korban vichaper lo. Echev shashia adam, kadam arishan shizchalachto. So the Ksav Sofer is bothered, quotes the Medrash, which is bothered. Why does it say Adam Kiyakriv? It should say, to be more consistent with how it appears elsewhere in the Torah, Ish Kiyakriv Mikem. If a person, why does it say Adam specifically? So the Medrash says, to tell us, to remind us, to invoke us, Adam Harishan. What does Adam Harishan have to do? So he says, here's what it means. There's two ways one can repent or seek to draw close to God. One is, You're really good inside. You're a genuine good person, but you've made mistakes. So the person has to atone for and repair the mistakes that they've made. And then you have a second person who's become rotten on the outside. What here it's telling us is, Adam and not Ish, to remember that this we should invoke our sense of Adam. Why was Adam called Adam? He's named Adam because min ha we come from the ground. We're born with this capacity for growth. We are growth-oriented. As opposed to the animal, the behema is ba-ma. What you see is what you get. The animal is complete the day it's arrived. But the Adam is Adama. We are always growing, we're striving, we're reaching, we're improving. So if you want to draw close, you want to be an Adam, you want to be growing, ki yakriv Mikem Karban, then you have to genuinely offer Hashem a Karban from within ourselves. Next Pasuk, Pasuk Gimel. Im Ola Karbanom in Abakar Zachar Tamim Yakrivenu, a Pesach Omod Yakriva, so there it's Ono Lifne Hashem. If one's offering is a Karban Ola, an elevation offering, then you bring it from the cattle of an unblemished male, and you bring it at the opening of the tent of the, of the meeting. Here's the Maggid of Mezrich. Says Rav Dober, the Maggid of Mezrich. Im Ola Korbano. If you want to be Ola, if you want to be going up, this is consistent with what we just said from the Ksav Sofer, why it says Adam. If you want to be an Ola, if you want to be striving and reaching and growing and improving, Korbano. You have to be willing to sacrifice. No pain, no gain. You have to be willing to. It's true in the world of exercise and diet. It's true in the world of work ethic. It's true in the world of, of relationships. Every area of life, no pain, no gain. Lefum tzara agra. According to the effort and according to the sacrifices we're willing to make, according to the pain we're willing to endure, will be the results that we're able to achieve. Im ola, if you want to go up, if you want to achieve and you want to grow, then korbano. You have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to be willing to sacrifice in life. Let's skip ahead. Perik Bez. Perik Bez, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Now the parsha is going through the different types of sacrifices that we have. And among them is the Korban Mincha. The Mincha is the flower sacrifice. We have many, many, many Minchas, many different types of flower offerings or sacrifices that are referenced in the Parsha. And Pasuk Yud Gimel tells us something that goes with them. V'chol Korban Minchascha b'melech timlach v'lo sashpis melech brisa lokecha me'al minchasecha al korban chatakrev melech Your salt, you shall salt your every meal offering with salt. Don't discontinue the salt of your of your of God's covenant from upon your meal offering, on every offering shall you offer salt. This is the origin of our custom of having salt on our table. Our table is like a shulchan, is like a mizbeach. When we eat, people mistakenly associate this just for Shabbos. When do you have to dip the challah in the salt or put the salt on the challah? That's a law about Shabbos. Not true. It's a law every time that you have bread. We have it with salt. This is a big discussion in halacha. Today, our recipe for bread includes spices, seasonings, or salt. So maybe today you don't need to, maybe we still do, but all of this is uh, connected to the idea of the bris melach, this covenant of the salt, which the Pasuk here is, is referencing. What is the role or significance of salt? We spoke about salt back in Sefer Bracious. When did we speak about salt in Bracious? When we talked about the wife of Lot, who turned around and turned into a pillar of salt. Salt is a preservative. It captures you, it stops you where you are and the way you are. So here we have this covenant of salt. The salt appears on our table, this idea of, 
of the uh, of the salt. We've spoken about in the past, last year or two years ago, we quoted an amazing Meyashiloach, an amazing Ishbitzer about the salt. But I want to tell you another insight here from Yisrael of Charkov, the Charkover, who says the following. Salt, what's the significance of salt with sacrifices? And why is it that you're not allowed to offer a korban mincha, this flower offering without salt? And why do we have salt on our table? What is the image, the symbolism? What does salt remind us of? By the way, this is brought in halacha too, even in El or Rosh Hashanah time, or the period through, through Sukkot. There are those who put salt on their challah, even when they continue to use honey. But even those who don't use salt when they're using honey, still have a tradition or custom of leaving the salt on the table. Because we have an idea of a bris melach, the symbolism or significance of the salt, its presence, even when we are not still using it on our table. So listen to what the Charkover says. He says, salt is the only ingredient that has no value on its own whatsoever. There is no healthy, normal person who eats salt alone. I've never seen someone person puts a handful of salt in their hand and, and licks it or eats it, we would look at the person askance. We would look at the person as being peculiar. Salt is never eaten alone. The whole value of salt, salt only achieves a value when? When it's mixed together with other ingredients. When the salt contributes as an ingredient among others, that's when the salt gains value. But when the salt is all alone, then the salt has no purpose then the salt contributes nothing. So said the tzaddik, Rabbi Yisrael of Charkov, the same is true with an individual. When you see that salt, which is connected with a carbon, and when we see that salt on our table, the salt should remind us that if we think that we have value on our own, if we live with a sense of anochi, I, if we have an inflated sense of arrogance, then we have no value. Our value is in the contribution we make to others. Our value is in being in our being interconnected, in our contributing positively, in caring about others. If through this crisis each of us has retreated only into our own homes, then what are we and who are we? But if from within our own homes we're calling and we're FaceTiming and we're offering to shop for those who can't go out and we're we're helping the others, then in fact we are worthy. That's the bris melach. The covenant with God is to recognize and realize that on our own we're unworthy. We gain our worthiness in connection and in the role that we play when we show that we care about others. Perak Dalad, Pasuk Beis. We're flying right along now. Skip ahead to Perak Dalad. Perak Dalad, Pasuk Beis. Again, we're going through this list and litany of the different sacrifices. We had the Korban Ola and the Mincha, and then we have a Korban Shlomim, and we have a Korban Chatas. And here in the context of the Korban Chatas, Perak Dalad, Pasuk Beis. Daber Ben Yisrael Lemor. This is a Korban Chatas. A Chatas is brought when a person violates something by accident. So you bring a Korban Chatas, a sin offering. Daber Ben Yisrael Lemor. Nefesh ki secheta bishkaga mikom mitzvah Hashem asher lo se'asena v'yasa me'achas mehena. Tell the Jewish people the following, if a person will make a mistake unintentionally from among the commandments of Hashem that can't be done, and you commit one of them, if you violate a lav, then you have to bring, do it by accident, you have to bring a karbon chatas. What word is unusual here in this pasuk? What word seems like it doesn't belong? The word nefesh. Nefesh ki secheta. Why doesn't the pasuk simply say, speak to the Jewish people and tell them, ki secheta bishkaga, when you make a mistake, when you violate my word by accident. Why specifically is it introduced with the word nefesh? Nefesh, a soul, when it makes a mistake. Why is the word soul being invoked here? So I bring your attention to the Ramban. And writes the Ramban, Nachmanides, Because where does contemplativeness, where does mindfulness take place? What happened? Why did you violate if you think about it for a moment, why are we accountable at all for our accident? person who has to bring a korban chatas has to spend a lot of money, a lot of energy, a lot of time in order to get the animal and bring the animal to the base of Mikdash, to Yerushalayim, and offer it. That's a tremendous inconvenience and it's a tremendous expense. Why do they have to do that? What did they do wrong? We've already conceded, we've acknowledged that the whole thing was an accident. If the whole thing is an accident, why do they have to go to this extent? Says the Ramban. Because, you know, there are kind of different kinds of accidents. We remember back to when we were children or we find ourselves now as parents still saying this. There are accidents that could have been avoided. There are accidents which were unavoidable and there are accidents which reflect negligence. Accidents which reflect a lack of mindfulness. If only we were paying attention, if we were more mindful, if we were more careful, 
The accident could have been avoided altogether. Where does mindfulness take place? Says the Ramban, in the nefesh. It takes place in the soul. Ramban says something so important to understand. Says the Ramban, if when you violated something by accident you weren't accountable, people would be very flippant and negligent in how they behaved. And they would still feel entitled and they'd still feel the right to draw close to God. So therefore we are held accountable even for the things that we do by accident. Why? Because, says the Ramban, and this is fundamental and axiomatic to our faith and to our relationship with Hashem and to this entire uh, Sefer Vayikra, to the whole Torah. Because when we do something wrong, even by accident, it leaves a blemish, it leaves an imprint on our soul. Our neshama, our nefesh is changed. First of all, it uses the word nefesh, not neshama, because maybe it shows that that negligence or mindlessness was the result of our animal soul, not our, human, our godly soul. Nefesh, animals have a nefesh. Humans have not only a nefesh, we have a neshama. We know there are four types of, of creation. So you have, um, you, have that which is, uh, you have that which is inanimate, and then you have the plant world, and then you have the animal world, and you have the human world. So the animal world has a nefesh. Only the human being has a neshama. Why does the Pasuk use the term nefesh, not neshama? To tell us that that negligence and mindlessness was the result of our using our nefesh, not our neshama. But what happens is when we do something wrong, even by mistake and by accident, it leaves a blemish on our nefesh, on our neshama, on our soul. And therefore we need to be accountable. We need to cleanse. We need to purify and restore our soul as we say every day in our davening. Elokai neshama shnasata bi tahorahi. The soul you gave me is clean and is pure. And even the things I do by accident, even if I'm not directly accountable, but I nevertheless need to take the steps in order to purify, I need to take the steps in order to improve, I need to take the steps in order to... So we have to understand that it's not just our body, it's not just when we intend to do things, even when we do them by accident, we're trying to preserve and maintain the purity and the cleanliness of our, of our soul. I had a few more things I wanted to share with you. Beautiful Kotzker, beautiful Rav Hirsch, so much more on this and each and every parsha, but we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining me in whatever medium that you are. I look forward to continuing to learn together. You can join one of our WhatsApp groups where we're sending Torah out daily uh, by going to rabbiefremgoldberg.org slash WhatsApp, or you can uh, join us tomorrow. We have our 10 minutes of meaning at 8.15 a.m., and are living with Amuna Shir at 8.45 a.m. Looking forward to continuing to learn together. Please, God, back in person sometime very soon. Thank you.